serpent tempted, but your love ran after me. You gave me what I needed, stole away my secrets. How could I deserve your love for me? Even in my weakness, you are always there. excited that you're here this weekend. Uh, I want to do something a little different as we kick off our service, and then I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to end our service a little differently as well. But what I want to do to start off is I want to pray specifically for all of our camps that are going on this summer. We have f- almost 5,200 kids, 
junior hires, so fourth through sixth grade elementary students, junior hires and high schoolers going to a camp experience this summer, 5,200. And so we're gonna pray together <clears throat> that God does something amazing in every single one of those students' lives. So would you join me together? Father, I wanna ask right now, and I wanna pray along with our church, that this summer you would take the students of CCV and you would begin to transform their hearts. I, I pray you prepare them even now. Many of them need to make decisions to follow Jesus for the very first time. Others need to be able to take steps in their faith. And I just know when you can get a student away from all the distractions in life, away from a bunch of TV screens and iPads and iPhones, and they can focus on you, I, I believe this summer you're gonna do something incredible. So I wanna pray along with our church that you would move in a mighty way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this weekend, we're in week two of a series called Less is More. You, you may have heard last weekend from Mark how we came up with the series name. It was as simple as this. I walked into Mark's office and I said, hey, what do you think about doing a series where we each preach on our life verse? You one week, me the next week. And so we said, man, that'd be awesome. And we, we talked about which verse we'd choose. And his had the word less in it. Mine had more. And so in all of our creative genius, the series name became Less is More. Okay, that's what we came up with. Now, it's actually a little deeper than that, uh, fortunately. We actually, uh, as we talked about these two verses, we realized that together, they reveal a very, very important truth that I believe God wants to speak into the life of our church. And so Mark did a great job preaching on John 3.30 last week, and today, I'm gonna preach on my life verse and it has the word more in it, okay? It's about a lot of more. Now, the interesting thing about this word is that probably more than most of us would like to admit, this word describes what we want out of life. I mean, think about it this way. If you, right now, on your phone, pulled up you know, your bank statement, do you hope there's less or more in there? You want more, of course. If you take on a new job, you hope it adds more to your life. If you're single and you went on a date this past week, did you hope that it was less or more? Well, you, you hope that person was more than you thought. Um, if you got married, you got married hoping that there was gonna be more in, in your life because of that. And when you have kids, maybe that's a, not a good example. Okay, they, they, they kind of take, right? But here's what you want. You want more for your kids, of course you want more. So, so much of life is centered around this idea that, that we truly do want more. And I don't think that's all bad, by the way. But the interesting thing is that for those of us that are Christians here today, and I know that's not everybody. I'm excited that's not everybody. I love that CCV is a church where if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can feel comfortable coming and learning about who he is. I love that about our church. But for those of us that are Christians, a lot of us made the decision to follow Jesus when we finally realized we would never have more in life until we invited God to be a part of it. But here's the unique thing about Christianity. When you invite God to be a part of your life and you invite God in, he doesn't want just a little bit more of your life. He doesn't want just even part of your life. He wants all of it. In other words, we use this term you know, Jesus is gonna be Lord, which means he's gonna be in control. He's king now, okay? And, 
And for some of us, that's a reason maybe that you've held off turning your, your life over to Jesus is, is you're, you're maybe not ready for him to come in and be in control of everything. But for those of us that are Christians, we knew subconsciously when we made a decision to follow Jesus that, hey, Jesus is gonna be Lord over every area of our life. But I think sometimes it comes a little bit of a, as a surprise when we get into this thing called Christianity and, and we're following Jesus I think the idea that he's Lord over every area can sometimes surprise some of us. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that your life is, is represented by a house with many rooms, and each of those rooms in your house represents a different area of your life. Now, when you invite Jesus in, uh, we're, we're inviting him to come into our home, which at first sounds awesome because we're like, hey, there's some rooms over here that are a mess. I mean, I got my family room, my family's a mess, I'm gonna let you go in there and fix that. You know, maybe my wife's sleeping on the couch right now, so can you go in that room and like do something about that? And so what typically happens when we follow Jesus is we give God a certain area of our life or a room in our house that needs some help. I think the surprising thing for some of us is that we realize he's not staying in just one room. In other words, Jesus doesn't come in operating like a guest. I would put it this way. If you invited me over to your house uh, this week and I I came to your house, you would probably take me in the living room. We we might go in the dining room if if we're gonna have dinner, but what if all of a sudden I said this? Hey, I'm gonna go in your bedroom and just kind of rummage around in the drawers, kind of see what's in there. And then I'm gonna go in your kid's room and I'm gonna do the same thing. I wanna look in there. And then I'm gonna go in your office. I'm gonna go through all your financial statements. And I'm gonna go to your computer and I'm gonna look through all the history. And then I'm gonna go to the medicine cabinet and look at all the medication you're taking, which some of you have done in other people's houses. How dare you? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) But see, if I did that to you in your house, there's some unwritten rules about inviting a guest into your house. I mean, if I was a guest in your house and I just started rummaging around in every single room, not only would it confuse you, it would actually offend you. And this is sometimes what happens with Jesus. We're like, are you really gonna operate as, as the owner and Lord of this thing? I thought maybe you were gonna operate a little bit more like a guest. But remember, Jesus is not a guest in your home. He's Lord over the whole thing. Which means he marches into every single room in your life and wants to be in control of it. He marches right into your bedroom, which represents maybe all your most important relationships. If you're married, your your marriage. If you're single, he he marches into all your dating relationships or who you wanna date, and he's like, oh, this is how you operate in your marriage. This is how you operate in your dating relationship. Then he marches right into your family room. He wants to weigh in on, on all your family dynamics, how you're raising your kids, what's going on in your family, and then he marches into your dining room, which your dining room maybe represents all your desires, your appetites, where you find pleasure, and he goes, oh, I wanna weigh in on this. Then he walks into your office, which represents your work, and he looks at how you operate at work, and he goes, oh, that's your character. That's how you treat other people. And then he goes into your computer and looks through everything, which you're like, ooh, wait a second. And then he does something that maybe confuses a lot of us. You see, each of us in our home, we have that little secret drawer that's locked, we have a junk drawer, we just chuck a lot of stuff. Or we've hidden something in the attic. 
And here's what Jesus does. He goes, I want the key to that room. And it's something we've hidden from our past or it's something that we've hidden right now that nobody else knows about. And see, here's just what happens when Jesus starts doing this. We're, we think this sometimes. Hey, I know I invited you in, but whoa, whoa, you're going into some areas that I was not quite expecting you to go into. And sometimes we treat Jesus as if he's a guest in our house versus we turn the deed over to him and now you're the Lord and owner of this thing. You can go wherever you want. See, that's what he wants. He wants to be Lord in your life. And don't miss the reason why. This is so big. He does not want access to every room you know, because he wants to walk in and close the party down. That's how some of us treat, we were like, hey, you know, when I was growing up, you know, we'd, we'd be having something fun go on and mom and dad would walk in and be like, it's all over. And that's sometimes how we treat Jesus walking into a room. No, no, no. He wants access to every area for this reason. Because he knows if you'll get out of the way and let him take control, he will always, always do more in that area of your life. The problem is, we sometimes have a hard time trusting he can do that. So the, the more you allow Jesus to have control over every area of your life, the more he can do more. So here's the big idea today I wanna to talk to you about. If you're taking notes, it's this. When there is less of you in any area of your life and more of Jesus, you will never get less. You will always get more, always. Now, I want to show you this from my life verse in Scripture. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to open there now. It's the Apostle Paul that is speaking, uh, and he's actually praying a prayer to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to jump in. Before I get to my life verse, I want to back up a few verses. I want to set the context for you because I think it's really, really powerful. And then we'll get to my life verse. But we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 3. Starting in verse 16, here's what Paul says this. He says this. I pray that out of his, God's, glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now here's all Paul's saying. He goes, man, I want you to have God's power in your life working through you. And he goes on to say this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This word dwell is exactly what we've been talking about. It's actually a house term. It means that you invite someone in to your house to make your home their home. It's, it's the idea of Jesus coming and taking residency in our life. It's why in some Bible translations, uh, it, it puts it this way. The New Living Translation says this, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Now here's the confusing thing about this verse, okay? When we read this, we kind of assume, oh, Paul, I get what you're saying. You're saying that when we become a Christian, Jesus comes in, and then we have power. When Jesus comes into our life, that's not what Paul's saying. And, and here's, here's how we know that. He's writing to Christians who already have Jesus in their life, which is ultra confusing because we want to ask Paul, hey, Paul, I'm going to push back. Why would you be praying for Christ to come into someone's life and bring power when we know for a fact all throughout scripture it says you can't be a Christian unless Christ is already inside you. So if you're, if you're talking to Christians who already have Christ, why would you pray for Christ to come in and give them power? Here's what Paul's doing. He's teaching us something 
that I think most Christians miss their entire life. And here it is. Every Christian has Christ in them. Every Christian. But not every Christian is harnessing Christ's power. I'm going to read that again. Every Christian has Christ in them. But not every Christian is harnessing Christ's power in their life. In other words, think of it this way. It's one thing to have a trust set up in your name with millions of dollars put in that trust. It's another thing to meet the requirements of that trust and be able to withdraw the money out of that trust. In other words, you can have a billion dollars in a trust in your name and still live in poverty. And that's, I believe, where some of us are. It's like we, 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 we began to follow Jesus. We invited him to our home. He knocked. We're like, man, come on in. I got some messes for you to fix. I mean, you can forgive me. Are you kidding me? I'll take the forgiveness. You clean up a couple of these rooms. That's awesome. And then we say, wait a second. That's enough meddling. I'm gonna stick you in a corner in the room. You stay there, Jesus. Stay. And I'm gonna go operate the rest of my life the way I want because I want to be in control. And why don't we allow Jesus access to every area of our life? Don't miss this. It's because we're not sure he can do more. We're in control and we think while we're in control, we're doing more than Jesus could do if we gave him control. Let me personalize this for a moment. When, when I became a follower of Jesus, I swung the doors wide open. I was like, come on in, fix this, fix this. And then <clears throat> Jesus started meddling in some areas I wasn't quite prepared for. I mean, he started meddling in my sexual ethics, my marriage, I mean, some of my work. And then he got into an area, a room in my life that bugged me the most. And here's what it was. He started meddling, looking at my finances. Here's what I thought. No, no, no. I'm the one working, and I'm the one earning this paycheck, so that's a room off limits to you. This is mine. No access, no bueno, get out of this room. Have you ever been there in an area of your life? And again, remember, the, the issue is we're not sure if we invite him fully in and we give up control of him that he can do more. It's deeper than that. We think if we invite him into an area of our life, we actually might get less. We might get less. <laughs> as a parent, if you're a parent, you've been there with your kids. Think about this as a parent. You, you as a parent have times have, have tried to weigh in to a certain area in your kid's life and as you're talking to them, they want nothing of it, right? Parents, you've been like, oh, I know what you should do in this area. I, I have your best interests at heart. And your kids are like, get out. Shut the door. They lock it on you. And here's what you think. I've thought this before personally. I thought, if you, to my kids, if you understood how much your dad loves you and only wants what's best for you, you would immediately Follow what I'm telling you to do immediately. And Paul goes on to tell us basically the same thing. Here's what Paul tells us. He goes, if you could grasp, I mean, just to grasp 
Listen to what he says. If you could grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the what? Love of Christ. If you could understand, it's almost like Paul's running out of words. He goes, I don't even know what words to use. It's wider than you think. It's longer than you think. It is higher than you think. It's deeper than you think. If you could grasp God's love for you, you would immediately surrender every single area of your life. You would. And he goes on to say this. I, I can't even come up with words, so he's like, and to know his love that surpasses knowledge. It, just, it, it would just blow your mind. It surpasses knowledge, Christ's love for you. And if you knew it, you would immediately open every single door of your life and give God complete and utter control. So here's what I want to ask today. What area of your life are you holding on control of and not surrendering because you just are not sure you can trust that God can do more in that area of your life? Can, can I probe a little bit? Can I poke a little bit? You have no choice. I have the microphone, so I'm gonna do it anyways. <laughs> For some of you, it would be your future. You're not sure with everything going on in your life, that God still has good plan for you and that he still has a plan that he can do more in your future. You're just not, you, you, don't, you don't believe that. Honestly, you don't. For some of you, it would be your marriage. Your marriage is in such rough shape that you have given up hope that God could do more. You honestly have and you're sitting next to your spouse right now, or they're not here, but honestly, you've given up hope. For others of us, it, it would maybe be forgiveness. You cannot imagine forgiving that person that hurt you so bad. And here's what you think. If I forgave them, what good would that do in my life? I don't care what the Bible says, how could I forgive them? For others of us, it would be a family member or a friend that's far away from God, and we've invited them, we've prayed for them, we've done everything we can think of, and you know what? We're just not sure at this moment in time that God could ever have an inroad in their life and change their life. It seems hopeless. For others of us here today, honestly, it's you. It's your faith. You've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've held back because you have so much in your past you're not sure God could redeem that and forgive it going forward. What area in your life right now would you say, I'm not sure I can trust that God can do more? Do you have it in your mind right now? Now I'm gonna read you my life verse. It's the very next thing Paul said, and here's what he says. Now to him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Some of you came today to hear that exact thing spoken into your life. I wanna walk through this verse because it is, it is hard to overestimate or overplay the power of this verse in your life. Let me walk through it. Now to him who is able God who is able to do what? Say it out loud. Immeasurably more. 
Say it one more time, immeasurably more. This, this is a Greek word that Paul actually made up. It is not used anywhere else in any Greek literature. Here's what Paul was saying. He literally was saying this. It's a superlative. It's crazy, hyper, crazy overabundance, more than you could ever imagine. That's what God can do. And then he goes on to use my two favorite words in this verse. More than we could ask or imagine. Now think about this. This is actually so big. There are some things in your life that are so like outlandish and big that you have a hard time asking, letting it out of your mouth, saying it, and yet you still do. Oh, I, I hope this happens, and you say it, but it's a little, little crazy. Then there's other things that are so far out there, you can't even say them out loud. You can only imagine them. Do you see what Paul's doing? God can do more than you could ever spit out of your mouth or crazy think in your mind. Now the imagination one get, gets me going because I'm like, God can do more than I can even like, imagine? Let me put it this way. There's some things that you won't say out loud because it would make you look foolish. They're that outlandish. For example, I, you know, I could not imagine how God could do this. I couldn't imagine how God could take every Seahawk fan in our church and turn him into a Cardinals fan overnight. <laughs> but to God who is able. I don't even know if he could do that, you know? That's a, let, let me give you a serious one. This past Easter, two months ago, as, as Easter was approaching, I began praying to God that he would move in our church. Because I believe Easter is out of any weekend of the year is, is, the, is the weekend where people are most open and receptive to turning their life over to Jesus when you can truly understand what Jesus did for you on a cross and that he rose again. So I began praying. And as I was praying, a number kept coming to my mind for the number of people that I wanted to see turn their life over to Jesus and get baptized and I could not sit, tell one person it was that outlandish. I couldn't tell anybody. I'd never even heard of a church baptizing that many people on one weekend. I'm sure, it, I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it has. I've just never heard of it. So I, could, I couldn't tell anybody. And here's what this verse is saying. Whatever you could imagine, God can do immeasurably more than that. Here's the question. Do you believe that? Are you asking for things in your life are you attempting things in your life that without God, it is impossible that they would ever, ever happen? I just need you to know that we wanna be that kind of church. We don't wanna be the kind of church that insults God with small thinking when he's promised that he can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And it would be really easy for CCV to start to coast. I mean, we could easily be a country club. I mean, look at our facilities, look at our staff, look at the ministries we have going on. It'd be easy to coast. I mean, we could be a cruise ship where we were designed to be a battleship. And so I want you to know, I believe in this verse so much that I will never let us move in, in the direction we begin to coast. We have to risk and trust God to do immeasurably more in our midst than we could ever ask or imagine. I wanna be a part of a church that when people look at what God is doing here, this, this could be their only response. 
God has to be involved because they're not that good. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And I believe God, throughout our history, has given us glimpses, glimpses, that he wants to do immeasurably more in our midst. I believe last November and even during Easter, to some extent, I believe God gave us a few of those glimpses. If you were here, a part of CCV last November, you, kn- you know that something happened very miraculous. We took on an initiative called Compassion at Christmas where we wanted to transform an entire country. And if you could have heard the conversations that happened behind the scenes before we took that on, it was something like this. This is so big, if God doesn't come through, there is no way it could happen. And so I wanna remind you of what we imagined as a church and then what God actually did. Watch this. What if I told you that our church could legitimately transform one country in this world? That's exactly what our vision is in the country of Colombia. We are going to attempt as a church to sponsor every available child living in extreme poverty that Compassion International has in Colombia. They said there's just over 10,000 kids that are waiting. Here's what we said, we'll take all of them. We are going to plant eight brand new churches across Columbia so every sponsored child has an opportunity to follow Jesus. We already have eight mission trips planned to Columbia where if you sponsor a child, you will be able to go on a mission trip and actually meet the child that you sponsored and see the church that you helped build for them. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine, according to his power at work within us. Watching that video, to me, it's such a pure example of how we, we can imagine things and God wants to do more. If you were a part of that initiative, I just want to say thank you, whether you sponsored a child or helped with the church plans or you've gone on a mission trip. We've, we just, we've, had, we've done three mission trips already to Columbia where, where uh, people that have sponsored their kids have gone down and got to see them and see the church that they planted. And, and those mission trips have been beyond our expectations. What we keep hearing feedback on is this is the kids would love you to write them more. You you don't realize how much a letter 
matters in the life of a child living in extreme poverty. And if you didn't have a chance to sponsor a child, um, Compassion has, has given us a few limited more. They've found a few more, so you can get on our website or our app, and you can actually still sponsor a child in, in Colombia today. But I want to remind you um, the context in which I think God does more. Paul tells us, he gives us this verse in Ephesians 3.20 that God can do more, and then he tells us the context in which God does it in verse 21. He says this, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. In other words, I believe God does more when we want to give him the glory. It's not something self-seeking for us. And I believe that's what Columbia was. It was an initiative that was really meant to, to be about making a difference in our world. So I believe when you think about how God can do more in your life, make sure you're aligning with God's purposes in your life. I want to take you back to Easter. During Easter, as I began praying, the number I prayed for that I could not say out loud to anyone was the number 1,000. Uh, we've, we've never done that as a, as a church. Again, I've never heard of that before, and I, I just began to imagine, what, what would it look like, God, if, if 1,000 people on one weekend turned their life over to Jesus and were baptized? After our services on Friday and Saturday night, uh, our team came to me and said, you're not going to believe this. We've, we baptized 321 people, and I thought, that's awesome. But I, again, I didn't say a word, but in my mind, I thought this. Yeah, we're, we're not even on track to baptize it. That, that's not on track. So on Sunday, um, I, I didn't hear anything, but on our very last service, I traveled to our Avondale campus, and while I was there, our campus pastor, Bobby Reed, said, hey, would you like to close out this service? And I said, sure, I'll close it out. And so I was getting ready to walk on stage in Avondale, and if you'll remember during Easter, if you were here, we, we kept updating you after every service about how many people had, had been baptized, and I hadn't seen the number at all, all day long, and, and right before I walked on stage, I turned to Bobby and said, Bobby, have you been giving the up-to-date number? I don't even know what it is. What, what is it? What am I supposed to say? And he said, oh, I've been having him put it on the back wall, so just peek out, and it'll be on the back wall. So I peeked out the curtain right before I was walking on stage, and this is the number that was on the back wall. And God just whispered, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ever ask or imagine. But we didn't baptize 1,003 people. Remember, God can do immeasurably more. This is how many people we baptized on Easter, 1,231. It's beyond expectation. That is an only God kind of moment for us to embrace as a church that God wants to do more. He wants to do more in every single person's life. And my, my excitement over Easter wasn't even these numbers. You know, the best thing I heard on Easter was story after story from, from many of you on our campuses saying this. I couldn't imagine my dad or my brother or my sister or my friend or this family member turning their life over to Jesus and somehow it happened on Easter. So what is it? What is it in your life that you're having a hard time trusting that God can do more? It might be a family member that's far from God. It could be your marriage and you know it. You, you, you really don't trust that God can do more right now. It could be a health issue. It could be a family situation. It could be your finances. See, many times the reason God's not doing more, you wanna know why? Because we're holding on control in that area of our life. In other words, we are playing God instead of turning that area over to God. So here's how I wanna close out our service today. 
and it's just a little bit different. And if you don't feel comfortable, you don't, you don't have to play along at all, okay? This isn't play, though. This is real life. If you know right now that God needs to do more, immeasurably more, than you can even ask or imagine in a certain area of your life right now, what I want you to do is I just want you in an act of surrender to just raise your hand right now. Just raise it up high. You can put them down. It, it, it catches me off guard seeing that number of hands and here's what that means. It means that God is poised to do more in our church. But for him to do more, we have to surrender control because let me remind you, let me remind you, when there is less of you and more of Jesus, you never get less, you always get more. So if I was gonna summarize this whole series, what we talked about last week, John 3.30 and Ephesians 3.20, the summary would be this. When you become less, God can do more. And here's what I'm just gonna ask of you today. Will you let God control and will you hand him and surrender over whatever that area is that you need him to do more? And would you trust that he can do more? Would you believe? See, there's so many Christians that have Christ in them, but you're not harnessing the power of Christ because you've stopped believing what Ephesians 3.20 says, that God can do more. And so if you raise your hand, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray right now for every single one of you on every one of our campuses. And here's what I want those of you to do around people that raise their hands. Whether you raise your hand or not, I want you to pick one person that's in front of you or beside you that raised their hand, and I want you to pray with me right now that God would unleash a movement in our church where we see him do more. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that for every person that raised their hand, God, that you would do more. For you to do more, God, we need to believe. We need to embrace that you love us and you want to do more. And may we surrender that area of, your, of, our, of our life. And God, as we surrender that area, I wanna pray that beyond our wildest expectations or imaginations today, that you would come through. I pray for marriages that need healing. I pray for family situations that seem just without hope. I pray for kids that are far away that won't even talk to their parents. I wanna pray for financial situations. And God, right now, when I say amen, what we're gonna do is this, Father. We're not only gonna pray to you, we're now gonna sing a song, nobody moving. We're gonna sing a song that puts to words Ephesians 3.20, that you are able. It's a familiar tune, you know we sing it a lot. But I pray that in these next moments as we sing this song, as our band comes on stage on every campus, that as we sing this song, we won't just pray a prayer, we will believe in our hearts that you are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.
Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation. 